Ooh. Okay. So I want to talk to you today um, about a statement I made a couple, couple Sundays ago that the language of God is truth and love. Um, and and it, it, when it was a statement, actually, sometimes you say things and it's like, oh, wow, I said that. That was a profound statement and I didn't, I didn't really realize it, what I was saying at the time. Um, but I've thought more about that and asked God to help me understand that a little bit more. So today's message kind of comes out of, out of that. Um, you know, we learn our language typically from our parents, right? As babies, our parents begin to speak to us uh, in whatever language they speak, our mother tongue, our, our father's tongue, we begin to hear their words and their words don't mean anything to us. They're just sounds, right? And we, but we begin to mimic those sounds. We begin to, as little children, we're parrots maybe, and we just repeat the sounds until the sounds take on meaning. We, we, re, we begin to associate the word ball, the sound ball, with this round object or cookie with this other one that we get to eat, you know. And soon sounds become words and we associate them with tangible objects in the world around us but then we also associate them with intangible ideas and concepts. So we hear words like, I love you. And we see a facial expression and a tone of voice that makes us feel warm inside. And we begin to understand what love is or happiness or are you sad. And they aren't things we can touch, but we understand them. And so we learn the language of our parents. And this is true in a spiritual sense as well. We learn the language of our Father. God speaks in the language of truth and love. But not everyone learns the language of God. Jesus talked about this in John 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 44. He says, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So in the spiritual realm, we see that the devil speaks the lies and some learn to live in that deception. But God comes to speak truth and love. In, in the Gospel of John, he begins to associate this in, in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 17. John writes, um, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. And so that idea of grace and truth um, it combined together coming through Jesus was a unique uh, differentiator. Paul kind of picked up on this theme in his letters and in Ephesians 4.15, he, he writes, Speak the truth in love. We will, grow to become, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ Jesus. And so that's where we get that phrase, speak the truth in love, is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It's that combination that is crucial 
in us becoming to the fullness of Jesus, one without the other leads to error. God intends us both to love and to speak the truth, but that's not always easy. It's often difficult um, for us to love those that we disagree with, right? And it's also difficult for us to speak the truth to those that we love sometimes. If we just learn the language of love, we risk being trapped in our ignorance and deception. We hear the world preach the gospel of love is all you need, right? That Beatles song, all you need is love. Da, 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 da. And, and, and the world wants to say that's all you need. You don't need truth. You can just deal with love. And if you have love, then you have God, and you don't need to worry about the rest. But that's not what Jesus says. You need truth and love. But if we just learn the language of truth, that often leads us into error as well. We tend to become judgmental, self-righteous. We have our bit of truth that we know, and we try to force that truth down others' throats, just like we put a pill, you know, we have our truth pill, and we're going to fix them by giving them our truth pill. I remember as a kid, um, when our dog would get sick, we'd get a pill from the vet, and you have to, you try to hide it in their bits of food, right, but then they wouldn't, and then you just have to grab them, kind of stick the pill in the back of their throat and hope they didn't bite you during the time, right? And sometimes I feel like when we get caught up in our little bit of truth, that's what we're doing to others around us. We try to take our truth pill and stick it in the back of their throat to make them swallow it. But it doesn't work. But Jesus comes to speak truth and love. And so I want to talk about... Look at some stories of how Jesus did this so that we can understand it a better, a little bit better. You know, one of the biggest obstacles for me learning to love people is that I I for so long had the wrong foundation of where my love came from. And, And so much of it was that my love was based on, are these people likable that I'm trying to love? Um... Do we get along well with each other? Uh, Do we have shared interests and values? Uh, Do do we enjoy being around each other? And so for me, loving was based on those kinds of ideas. And that's kind of how the world approaches it, right? Love those who are like you. Love those that bring joy to your life. But this is not what Jesus teaches. Jesus begins to teach something very different. I think in the Bible we see four different ways that, that are the building blocks of the foundation for our love. The first is that God has made everybody in his image, right? Male and female and in his likeness. And if God has made people in his image, because of that, they are deserving of respect and of kindness and of love because they are made in the image of God. That doesn't mean they have to agree with us. They don't mean they, they, just because God made them in his image, 
means we should love them. Second, in John 3.16, we have that verse that we all know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that if God's love is so great that he would give his son to die for these people, we need to love as God loves if we are his children, his followers. And so a third reason is that Jesus then commands us to love. In Luke chapter 6, he, Jesus says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But I tell you, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. So Jesus commands us to love our enemies because it makes us more like God. We are children of the Most High and God is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. And so that becomes the basis for us to love others, whether we agree with them or don't agree with them, whether we like what they're doing or don't like what they're doing, we love because God, Jesus tells us to. And then the fourth reason, and and John picks up on this idea that Jesus talks about and writes about it in his, his first letter. He writes, we love because God first loved us. Because we have experienced God's forgiveness, we forgive others. Because we have experienced God's mercy, we can be merciful. We didn't deserve it when God gave it to us, and others don't have to be deserving of it when we give it to them. We love because God first loved us. And so as Christians, as we live out the language of truth and love, we can love independently of whether people accept the truth or not. And I think to me, that's a big distinction that I've wrestled with over the years is that I tend to want to love people as long as they accept the truth. But when you look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, you look at his teachings, we love even our enemies who have not accepted the truth. And so to some extent, I think... um, Once we can get over that hurdle, it makes loving people a bit easier because we can love them because we have been loved by God. But I think speaking the truth, especially these days, is sometimes a little bit more difficult. And so, you you know, you've heard that phrase, what would Jesus do? And over the years, I've, I've thought about that, and I think I would tweak it a little bit to say, not what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do? Um, If we use the phrase, what would Jesus do, then we just use our imagination to say, okay, I think Jesus would do this. But if you say, what did Jesus do? Then you're kind of driven back to the gospels to say, okay, what's the situation that Jesus was in and how did he handle it? And let's look at what he did. And then we can go from there. 
um, and, and apply it. So, so I want to look at what did Jesus do as he spoke the truth in love. Um, so if you will, turn with me to John chapter 3, 1 through 6. And actually, John, I think, kind of picks up in this. So, you know, in, in the first chapter, he uses that phrase, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and I think that becomes a framework as he writes his gospel. And so we're going to look at several stories in the gospel of John where Jesus comes and speaks grace and truth into a situation. And so this first one in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miracles, the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. And in reply... Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born again when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. So Jesus is talking with Nicodemus here, and he begins to speak the language of God, of grace and truth, of love and truth into Nicodemus. But he does it by starting with somewhat of an odd statement, right? You must be born again. What what, what does that mean? I mean, if we were Nicodemus, we would kind of be puzzled as well, right? But I think Jesus is doing that intentionally. Part of what Jesus wants to do is to engage Nicodemus's mind and Nicodemus's heart, to ask questions, to be open, to prepare it. One of the key things about truth is that truth is a gift to be received, not a pill to be crammed down someone's throat. And I think that's an important distinction, that Jesus comes in not wanting just to have a heavy hand and pound the truth into somebody's life, but he comes with an open hand of offering this gift of truth so that people can receive it. We have to receive the truth into our life. We can't just have it thrown at us. And so Jesus begins to talk with Nicodemus to say, you must be born again. And it's such an odd phrase that Nicodemus says, how can that happen? And so he begins to open Nicodemus's mind and heart to what this possibility is. And that openness allows him to receive the truth. Let's look at another example in John chapter 4, verses 6 through 11. So here he meets the woman at the well. Now this woman... Uh, is is a Samaritan. Uh, Samaritan and Jews do not get along, so there's some ethnic discrimination and bias going on here. And so, starts in verse six. 
Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour or about noon. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? So here again, Jesus begins to talk with this lady in a way that kind of breaks down the barriers, that opens her mind and opens her heart to some kind of a new possibility. He, he starts by asking her for help. Here, the king of the universe saying, can you help me out? Can you give me a drink of water? But that is the open door uh, for him to be able to say, you know, if you knew who, you, who was asking you, you would ask for living water. Well, what's living water? Living water sounds pretty good. Coming out in the middle of the day to the heat, I don't want to have living water. I'd rather have water coming into my house, right? Even... She doesn't understand what Jesus is saying, but in that confusion, in her questioning, she opens her heart and her mind to the truth that Jesus wants to speak into it. So sometimes it's in making a simple request to those around us that we can open the door to speak truth into them. Another good story is in John chapter 5. Uh, Jesus is uh, meeting up with uh, at the sheep gate. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, in the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there, who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat. And walk. Now, here we see Jesus bringing truth in a different way into the situation. You know, one of the things that Jesus, the truth that Jesus was bringing, is that it's okay to heal people on the Sabbath, it's okay to do the will of God 
on the Sabbath. He, he was bringing the truth to, that would break down some of the religious laws that were binding the people uh, up and, and making them miss out on the goodness of God. And so the way he, John, Jesus did it here is he just did it. He healed on the Sabbath. And so his action spoke louder than words at times. Finding this invalid, he could have waited till the next day. The guy had been there for 38 years. What's another day, right? But Jesus comes in and chooses that day for a reason to provoke here again people asking questions, people shaking up the status quo so that they begin to say, what's going on here? Why are you carrying that mat? Aren't you, you're not allowed to do that. As the story goes on, Jesus then begins to speak more to the religious leaders and Pharisees about their hypocrisy and why they would keep, why they wouldn't allow the goodness of God to come on the Sabbath because they want to honor their own rules higher than the goodness of God. Another story in John 6, 22 through 29. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus not, had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. So the precursor to this is that Jesus just fed the multitudes, right? He had fed this great crowd that had been following him for several days. And so after they, they were fed, uh, Jesus sends his disciples to the other side of the lake, and then he goes off on his own. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate bread and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, what must we do to do the works, of, works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So you see how Jesus begins to orchestrate this. He has fed the multitudes. Um, they were ready actually to come and make him king by force, but that's not what his, God's plan was. And so he leaves and they come following him. And here again, Jesus is wanting to open their minds and to open their hearts to receive the truth that is bigger than eating bread on the beach, right? That, that is more than just this temporary filling of the belly, but it, it is a deeper filling of the spirit that we can live with. And so he begins to say to them, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures. And his strategy is to get them thinking again so that they ask the question, what must we do to do the work God requires? Their minds are open. 
Their hearts are open to receive the truth. And so Jesus puts it in there. Believe in the one whom he has sent. This is very different than standing on a street side holding signs up that says, God hates you to those that are struggling with sin in their lives. God, Jesus showed us a different way to speak truth and love in society to those that we agree with, to those that we disagree with. It's about truth and love. We don't compromise the truth, but we don't compromise our love either for those around us. John chapter 8. Verses 3 through 11. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, I don't know where the man was. Maybe he was too strong. (laughs) I don't know. In the law of Moses... In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him, right? They're not seeking the truth. They're seeking for a violation of the law of Moses that they can use to accuse Jesus with. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she replied. And then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I think this is a great example of Jesus bringing grace and truth, of love and truth into uh, the situation in the world. He does not condemn the woman, but he doesn't condone her behavior either, right? He, he, go and leave your life of sin, but I don't condemn you. Jesus said, I don't come to the, into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through me. And so Jesus' ministry and focus and the ministry and focus that he has called us into is not to judge others, not to condemn others, but to show the love and the grace and the truth of God to the world around us. And so Jesus takes a strategy with the Pharisees to help them recognize their own sin. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. If they're going to be honest, if they're going to evaluate their own lives, Each of them knows that they have sinned and they stand in need of God's forgiveness. And it begins to help them realize that if they need God's forgiveness, why shouldn't they extend that forgiveness to others as well? And so we see Jesus bringing that truth and love 
in a way that allows people to receive it. He doesn't cram it down their throats. He just offers it. Creates a situation where their hearts are open, their minds are open. But as you can see, not everyone, even in hearing Jesus speak truth and love, received it, right? I mean, as we read earlier in communion, there was a time where the Pharisees turned their back on Jesus and started plotting against him. There are times, even when his disciples, as they spoke truth and love, that they, the teaching was too hard, that, that they were offended because they couldn't open their hearts enough or their minds enough and take that leap to believe in the goodness of God. So I, I don't want you to go away with the impression that whenever you speak truth and love to people that they will receive it. They, they won't. But, but we can stay faithful to the life that God has called us to, the ministry that God has called us to, to speak grace and truth in a world that needs grace and truth these days. So here are some takeaways that I'd like you to have from today's message. First, that God calls us to love people regardless of their commitment to the truth, that we can show respect and kindness to others because God has made people in his image. He has sent his son to die for them, that he shows love to and kindness to the ungrateful and to the wicked. And so we can love, period, whether people deserve it or not. Second, truth is a gift that we offer to people for them to receive. Jesus spoke the truth in love so that people would open their hearts and and embrace it. He used questions. He used stories. He used requests for help to open conversations with people, to engage their mind, to engage their hearts so that they could have a dialogue, a conversation. And we need to have conversations with people around us about living water, about being born again, about showing kindness even when people aren't kind back to you. Why do you do that? Because God did it to me. And third, we respect other people's right to choose, to embrace the truth or not to embrace the truth. Some will, some will not. God holds our ability to choose as a sacred gift that he gave us long ago. In, in the garden with Adam and Eve, he put a tree in the middle of it and said, don't eat of this lest you die. But he still gave them the choice whether they're going to do it or not. In Deuteronomy, uh, as God gave the law through Moses, he said, choose this day whom you will serve. Choose life, choose death. But it was their choice. Even in our society, and in, well, in Jesus' day, as he spoke the truth to them, he respected people's choice. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I would want to gather you under my wings like a, a hen would gather her chicks, but you chose not to. And even today, as we speak truth in love, some will receive it, others will not. But we can love them in the midst of their choice to not choose the truth and we can still speak the truth. 
you know, these things get a little bit deeper, right? I mean, we're not talking about the milk of the word here. These are things that are about more the meat, the deeper things, that if we want to live with the word of God, sometimes we make a decision that we're going to be on the other side. We're going to be the ones that are misunderstood. We're going to be the ones that when we love, they actually say we're hating. We're going to say we're the ones who follow Jesus. Oh, you're those who pretend to eat the human flesh and drink the human blood. We will be misunderstood, but Jesus was misunderstood, right? We will be accused falsely, but Jesus was accused falsely. We were reading in Sunday school this morning about Jesus Christ suffered in the flesh. And once you have suffered in the flesh, you are done with sin. And I think this is part of it, that when we have chosen to follow Jesus, even when there's been a sacrifice, there's been a cost for us, we know we can walk out that faithfully because the Holy Spirit is with us and empowers us to stay true. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you know things get tough at times, that speaking the truth and love isn't always easy, but it is possible because your spirit makes it possible. So, Father, we come to you today And we ask you to take your words that you have spoken through the scriptures, through the Holy Spirit, and make them alive in our hearts. Lord, we are sorry for the times that we have failed, and we want to do better. We realize that it is your spirit at work in us, both to will and to do your good pleasure. So, Father, as we go from here this morning, make your words come alive. Show us each one how to put into practice these things that you have spoken to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go in peace in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ.